0: Well, we want to take our Bibles this morning, and we want to turn to Matthew chapter 2. And we are in a series of messages in Matthew, and we're going to be beginning the Sermon on the Mount and first of the year. But Let me just uh, share with you a little uh, tool that may help you, hopefully help you grow in the Christian life. We sold out of these the first week. We do have some more in. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. And what's unique about the book is that it's uh, one side is the Scripture and the other side are blank pages that you can write. And so at the end of the book of Matthew, as we finish it up, you'll have kind of your own journal and commentary, you might say, on the book of Matthew. And so we invite you to get those if you like. They're in the uh, bookstore, um, 45 West, coffee shop and bookstore as long as they last. And so uh, we look at that and we also uh, just uh, look toward New Year's Eve uh, services tomorrow night. A very special time, candle lighting, all that kind of uh, the great traditional stuff. But also the children are going to be helping us in a, in a unique way tomorrow night. So you're not going to want to miss that. going to be a great service, a lot of uh, great singing and uh, gospel message. And I know that uh, many of you maybe have relatives and friends that you would like to bring, and, and I hope that um, you'll bring them and uh, they'll get a blessing from it. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 2 is where we are right now. And so often we ask ourselves the question well, it's been, well, anyway, it's been said, I should put it that way, that God won't give you more than you can handle. How many ever heard that phrase before? And how many of you actually believe that? Well, uh, I don't know. Maybe you do, but it doesn't feel like that way sometimes. It feels like God is just kind of the world, at least, or life. Is just piling on over and over and over again. And Christmas is a time where we think to ourselves, this is even uh, less joyful than what normal life really is. I mean, it just seems to be exasperating the problems over and over and over again and piling on uh, the, the loneliness and the missing things that we have. In life, maybe this Christmas you're missing someone in your home. Maybe your kids are not coming back to visit this Christmas. Maybe you're not able to go and visit them. All kinds of things going on in your life. And and you think to yourself, look, you know, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. New Year's coming up, New Year's resolutions, New Year's prayers are coming up. I'm praying for the same things this year that I prayed for last year. It just doesn't seem to be any any relief in sight. Some of you uh, almost avoid praying. Because every time you pray about things, you realize you're praying about the same things, things that you don't have, things that are missing in your life, which is kind of discouraging. So where does all this end? I've said before that in spite of we can talk about the power of God, we can talk about all kinds of things about God, but the main thing that we want to know when we're going through a trial in life, does God really love me? Does he really care about me? If I can just be convinced That God cares about me, you think? If I can just do that, then I I can trust Him for the power and all that. I can trust Him for all that if I just know that He cares about me. Well, this passage in Matthew chapter 2 shows us the great providential care of God and how He takes care of us. And it shows us a lot of other things as well. As you know, Uh, If you've been studying Matthew with us a little bit the first couple of weeks, you'll realize that in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is bridging the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the last prophet that has come on the scene is, is Malachi, 400 years before. Now, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people felt like they were the chosen people through Abraham, and it was right for them to feel that way because they were. But now, Matthew's introducing a whole new idea a whole new concept to them that not only would Jesus Christ one day, or the Messiah would one day come back as the coming king, but now he's coming the first time as a suffering servant who would die on the cross, not only dying on the cross for sins, but the sins of the whole world, not just the Jewish race. And so now he's telling them stories. He told them a story about the Magi, and they had to look at it and say, you know, these guys were Persians. They weren't even Jews at all. And they witnessed uh, the young childhood of Jesus, giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and all these great gifts, and they were part of the Christmas story. They were part of the Messiah coming. And so, yeah, we're going to have to think about that. He's looking at it, even the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to find out here in just a few weeks why Jesus preached that sermon and why it's so important to connect the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And so as we're looking at this, now Herod... Herod the Great comes on the scene. See, anytime God's doing something, Satan is right there. The enemy's right there using something or someone to go against what God's trying to do. And Herod the Great was no one uh, to deal with because he he was trying to protect his throne. He had already killed his wife and three of his sons to protect his kingdom. And so what is happening, we look in the first several verses here of chapter 2, And what he wants to do is find out where Jesus was born so he could come along and kill him because he was supposed to be the king of the Jews. He was, again, protecting his throne. Well, we'll find out a couple of things in this passage. One, we're going to find out that not everybody was really happy about Jesus being born. The second thing we're going to find out is that we see that God is going to do anything and everything he has to do to take care of you. First of all, Verses 13, we see that God is taking care of you. He is. Look at verse 12, first of all. And being warned the Magi in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13, and when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take up the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Now, again, I want you to get the picture here of what's going on, a little past. First of all, the angel appears to Mary, and then the angel appears to Joseph. And now he appears to both of them and tells them, look, you know, Herod's gonna is is around. He's trying to hunt down your child and kill the child, so you need to flee to Egypt. Again, God's providential care. We, we look at this, and there we discover there's a place in Egypt back then called Alexandria where a lot of Jews went for refuge. And as they were gathered there, it's about a 175-mile trip. So you can imagine, a 175-mile trip is going to take a lot from them physically, but also financially. You know, a lot of times we think to ourselves, well, you know, I just can't get ahead. You know, here I, I got a check in the mail, I don't know, tax return or something. Christmas gift for eight, say $800. How many of you would be happy with a check in the mail for $800? You know, how about you? And I would, some of you, well, it takes a little bit more than that to make you happy. I understand. I get it, but $800 would make me happy. All right. So I get a check in the mail or you get a check in the mail for $800. And the next couple of days, you take your car down to get an oil change and you find out you need new brakes and it's going to cost you about $800. And you think to yourself, I just can't get ahead. I mean, I just can't get ahead. Every time I get something, something goes wrong. You know, my good, you know, this, this, that. Has it ever occurred to you maybe that God gave you the $800 to pay for the breaks in advance? I mean, could have, right? I mean, after all, if if you went to... uh, um, the place first and said I need an oil change they say well it's $800 for breaks how am I going to get this money where in the world God I mean oh my goodness woe is me and then the check comes in the mail well you've got three or four days a week to worry about that money now what's happened here with Joseph and Mary was this the Magi came and worshiped him, and it was more than just about the gifts, but it was about the gifts. He had gold and frankincense and uh, stock to Amazon and all this kind of stuff that he was getting, and he was thinking to himself, man, I've hit the jackpot. I finally got ahead in life. Here I am a carpenter, and God's blessed my life. That must mean since I have Jesus, I'm going to be rich the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, now you've got to take a trip to Egypt, and it's going to cost you everything just, that was just given you. And he could have said, oh, I just can't get ahead. But no, he was thinking, you know, here's God's providential care that he was giving me something before I actually even needed it. Now, notice what happened here in this passage. Verse 14. And he rose and took the child and his mother and not at night by night and departed to Egypt and remain there until the death of Herod, this was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets out of Egypt, I have called my son. Nowhere in any historical uh, manuscripts of any religion do you find predictive prophecy, much less predictive prophecy coming true, except in Christianity and the word of God. Here what he was saying was, how in the, first of all, how in the world would you ever call Uh, your son out of Egypt, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. There was the prophecy of the Old Testament. I mean, actually, he was going to be born in Bethlehem. So how in the world would he ever be called out of Egypt? Well, it's not that God arranged all these things to fulfill what was already spoken, but rather he spoke it back in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, knowing that it was going to happen. So we see predictive prophecy coming true. Then notice in verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. First of all, verse 17, I skip that, I'm sorry. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah spoke something during the Babylonian captivity. There were, Israelites were about to go into Babylonian, Babylonian captivity, and as they were going, Rachel from the Old Testament, way back in the Old Testament, was kind of a symbol, and it says a voice was heard in Ramah, Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there was no more. Here, predictive prophecy coming true again in the life of Jesus. Verse 23, and he went and lived in the city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Again, fulfilled prophecy in his life. God was taking care of Jesus. He was taking care of Joseph. He was taking care of Mary. He's taking care of you. So well, how can you say he's taking care of you? Well, first of all, he loves you. John 3, 16, many people know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we can ever doubt that God loves us, we just look to the cross. We look to the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the miracles that Jesus performed. But finally, the reason he came, and that was to die on the cross for our sins. No one has ever poured out love toward you like that, that God would come from heaven, live his life down here as a servant on this earth, and die for you on the cross. He loves you. But not only does he love you, but he knows everything because somebody says, well, you know, I'm just not sure God knows where I am. He doesn't know how I feel. He doesn't really know what I'm going through. Here's what Psalm 139 tells us. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. Notice that word, path, and my lying down, and I'm acquainted with all my ways. Listen to this part. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Before I preach this message, before I phrase my words, God knows every single thing that I'm about to say. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. God knows all the past. God knows all the present. God knows all the future. And, brethren, I don't know about you, but I don't know hardly any of that. In fact, I, sometimes I lose files I can't find anything sometimes in my own study. What about you? I remember um, when we before we moved here, we were visiting some friends um, over here in Merritt Island, Titusville area. And we decided to all go to Disney World when our kids were very small. And I was pushing one of my. but we were about ready to leave. I mean, you know how Disney World is, right? I mean, you, you, you go and you have to stay all day. It costs so much, you just have to stay. No matter how hot it is in the middle of the summer, no matter how hot it is, no matter how much you're sweating, no matter how tired you are, no matter how much your kids are crying, you're staying. You know, you're going to have fun because I paid for it. So we're leaving finally, and I'm pushing one of the, one of the kids out and, uh, in a stroller, and suddenly we get to the gate and find out that we're missing one at Disney World in the summer on the weekend. People were everywhere, and he just got kind of lost. And so we're looking around, and I'm, I'm not saying his fault, fault it was or anything like that, but I had mine, you know. <laughs> Actually, I think he was supposed to be with me. And um, <clears throat> shut those thing, kind of bad thoughts out of your mind sometime. But anyway, I think he's supposed to be with me. We were looking everywhere, and finally... We thought to ourselves, where do we see him last? We went to that place and there he was, hugging on kind of a pole and uh, just waiting for us. I had no idea where he was. It was for the Lord's guidance. We, we may have never found him. But I didn't know where God knew where he was. I had no idea where he was. We, lo- we lose our way. We don't pay attention. Things happen in our life. But God knows every single... He knows your every move. He knows all your motives. He knows your sins, your defects, but He knows your deepest needs. There's nothing that God doesn't know. You say, but but you know, I sometimes feel God's not there. Well, listen to Psalm 139 again. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand is going to hold me up. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. We're never out of the presence of God. In fact, when... Joseph was being talked to by the angel the first time around in chapter 1. The angel told me, you you would call his name Emmanuel, a title, meaning God with us. God's always there. And and I know I could go over all the attributes this morning and take the entire message and then some, but let me just one more, just, just one more. God is faithful. The Bible says, faith in an unfaithful, untrustworthy person in a time of crisis is like a a sore tooth or a foot out of joint, man, it's painful. You got to be able to count on something. And when you count on somebody, and you can't count on them. Boy, it's just bothersome. It just. But God can always be counted on. Listen to what it says, Second Timothy. If you can, if you are faithless, and we are sometimes, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You said, but pastor, it just doesn't seem to all come together for me. It doesn't seem to all be there. You know, sometimes I just feel like maybe he's not there. He doesn't care enough. And he, he, he could step in. he say, well, I don't blame God for what's happened to me. You know, I, I know I've done some wrong things. I know I just wasn't perfect, and I wasn't perfect, and I wasn't there maybe where I ought to be. But, you know, God could step in and, and, and end all this. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. You know, it's old age, you know. I mean, I could have preached this last week, for as I know, you know, I don't know. But. Um, I've, been, I've been told in the past, well, pastor, you didn't do anything, but you could have stepped in, and you could have prevented this. And I suppose I could have, even though it would have been wrong for me to do that because it was wrong being done. But you've got to trust your pastor, but you've got to trust your committees in a church, too. So I could have stepped in, but should I? And then I realized something just poof, finally rang a bell with me. I do God the same way. I'm no, I go into a hospital and I see this child with a birth defect and I say, God, you didn't do that. I know sin did that You know because Adam sinned against God. The world is full of sin. I know of it, but God, you could have done something about that. Suffering that you've just seen on the video a few moments ago, from the International Mission Board with somebody out there with a doctor. God, you could prevent that. You could do something. And he could. But here's the thing. Even though he could, should he? Should he do it? I keep coming back to the same wisdom that I've shared with you all year long. And that is this. God gives us what we would give ourselves if we knew What he knows. Just like a rock into a pond, the rippling effect. We don't know the things that are happening or not happening and how they affect all the world around us. God is caring for you, but let me add, secondly, today, just as importantly, God has to care for you. He must. How do we know that? Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked, by the wise men became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Wow, what an evil guy. He killed 25 to 30 children just to get rid of, just take a chance on getting rid of Jesus. Hopefully, hopefully get rid of him. And yet, we look at life, we see our world today, and we see evil going on. It's not just the movies where you go and someone wants world domination. We've seen that in the Nazis and the communists. We see that in others as well. They want power in their life. You've heard of the term bort. It's in the dictionary. Someone that you're going to defame in order to get power in your own life, and whatever the definition is. It's named after Robert Bork back in the 80s. They put him before a judicial appointment and they just tore his life apart, tore his life apart. And the reason I remember that is because recently they showed a clip from this and they showed a senator, a very well-known senator, a very powerful senator, getting up and saying a life, a world with Robert Bork is this, 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 and this. And someone more modern, I mean today, there's not a the Senate anymore, it used to be with this, this whole group, He said, I asked him, why did you say that? You know that's not true. He says, we've got to do everything we have to do to stop this man from getting appointed. Why? Well, they wanted power. Sometimes that's what's wrong with politics today. People want power more than they want the benefit of the people. And here, Herod wanted power. It's been said. I think Tim Keller said it. He said, there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. And we look at this and we we wonder, well, maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. Maybe the depravity of man really points to the need of a Savior. Let me give you one one really apt illustration. Uh, A couple of years ago, on a Sunday night series, I preached through the book of Revelation. And one of the things that um, became very apparent, at one point, the Bible says the rapture of the church takes place. The Bible describes this time as a time where the Holy Spirit is really not moving in the church. And so, in a sense, the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. And what happens there, you say, well, the wrath of God happens. That's much later. That's the very end of the tribulation. The tribulation is all about man turning on himself. Without God, God's presence in this world, we would turn on ourselves the enemy, Satan, would have his way, and we would destroy the world all by ourselves. We wouldn't need anybody else's help. We can see that in people's lives. And the, again, the depravity reminds us of how much we need a Savior. We must, we are, and we must be protected and cared for by God. But then God wants to take care of you. In verse 19, it says to us, but when Herod died, behold, an angel The Lord appeared to him in a dream, uh, to Joseph, rather, in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Now what's happened here? What's happened? God is arranging things again, knowing that what would happen, again, for prophecy to be fulfilled. But here's what happened. Herod died. He split up the kingdom among his three sons. Archelaus was the king over Judah, Herod Antipas over Galilee, and Philip over the northern provinces, including Decapolis. And so Jesus, rather, Joseph was going to take his family home, but the king there was very, very hostile toward Jesus. And the whole story, Herod Antipas, not so much. Preoccupied with other things. He put him into Galilee, and he ended up in Nazareth. This place, this small town, he says, it's so small that Nathanael, when he was talking with his brother, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, you think about it to yourself. God does things counterintuitively than the rest of us. You know, we think to ourselves, well, yeah, if the king's going to be born, he ought to be in Rome. I mean, if it was today, he'd be in New York City. I mean, that's kind of a, we're kind of, you know, modern-day Rome in a way, in a way, powerful nation, powerful city. New York City. Rome. He was born in Nazareth. This little village, in fact, if you were to visit that village today, it's still small. It's tiny. It wasn't for a little tourism. It had no money at all. Rain's come there only twice a year. A little hole in the wall. Think about the smallest town you can think of. That's where Jesus was from. God does things counterintuitively. Even your salvation, if I can use that as an illustration. We think to ourselves, we've got to do something, we've got to work for it, work, 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 work do something more and maybe the good's going to outweigh the bad and we're going to get to heaven when God says no it's all of grace in fact a young child can can receive Christ and the one that's on their deathbed can also receive Christ it's all of grace counterintuitively of everything that we really believe it seems to be almost backwards but Jesus gave his life but he gave it Willingly. He wanted to be raised in Nazareth. He wanted to be raised in obscurity. He wanted, at first, he was willing at least for his brother and, sis- and sisters not to like him. I mean, can you imagine? Your, you can never blame anything on your brother. Jesus was perfect. He was willing to die on a cross for us. But what was, what was the difference? You say, well, you know, the difference is, Pastor, and what you're not bringing out is that this was Jesus, and it was Joseph and Mary. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But this is an example, one example of many, many, many examples in the Bible where people were blessed. And you say, but I'm just not blessed. I'm just not there. What about me? Well, I, I can just entertain A real possibility. Maybe we're not, as we think sometimes, in the path of blessing that God wants for us. Maybe we're just—you know—I talk. I've talked about that for twenty-five years. But you've got a path that God wants you to follow, and not only is it important for you to be on that path, as far as God blessing you and encouraging you in life. After all, if you're off in a wilderness somewhere and you're not following God, for God to bless you would just be encouraging bad behavior. But not only that, but you've got to be on the path because that's where the gifts are. That's where the answers to prayer are. That's where uh, the, the change of heart and change of life and change of attitude, all that, that's, that's where that is. And you say, well, you know, I walked away from God when I was 18, but I came back at 25, and I praise God for that. I praise God that you came back at 25 or 30, but you lost seven years of all those blessings in your life. Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. So it's not a matter of I've got to love Jesus and obey God in order to get saved. But once I'm saved, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, I am his workmanship now. I'm his workmanship. And yes, I can struggle and and, and not really question what I'm doing in my life. Is it really godly or not? And I'm, I'm really saved. If I'm really saved, am I going to go to heaven? Yes, but are you really going to get blessed? Well, not like you could. Really, not like you could. How about this verse? Very convicting to me. First John 3, 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Somebody says, in other words, you're saying I'm trusting God because I'm, I feel like I'm better off trusting God than going my own way. There's no telling how much. As I you know, I read the Scripture myself. I've been reading through the New Testament this year, and sometimes I run across something I even talk to my wife about. I say, wow, you know, I, I didn't know it was put this way. I'm reading a new version here, a different version, and it says so a different way. Or, wow, you know, I forgot about that one being in there, that kind of thing. It's amazing how much our culture and our world, depending on our generation, shapes our beliefs and how much we take of the Bible and leave of the Bible. Boy, what would happen if we just said, you know, I want to get back to where God really is blessing my life and his presence is true in my life. You know that old story about the old couple riding along an old pickup truck with a bench seat, and the same pickup truck they've been riding in for a long time. And they're riding down the road in silence, and finally the the lady turns to her husband and says, you know, back when we were young, I used to sit up next to you and we used to snuggle up and you'd put your arm around me. We just don't do that anymore. The old codger looked over at his wife and said, well, I ain't moved. Well, God hasn't moved. The question is, is we, have we moved? And I, I realize as I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm questioning my own life as well. You know, we, we talk about the Lord's Supper and people say, well, do I have to take it every week? I tell you, there's been times in the last year, a couple of times where I, I, didn't, I took it here, but I, there was other places, and sometimes I take it, and sometimes I don't. There's one particular time, I, I woke up in the morning, we didn't, didn't have time to, we were on the road, we didn't have time to eat breakfast, I didn't have any caffeine in me, I wasn't in a talkative mood, kind of gripey. You know, I know it's hard to believe, but <laughs> a little gripey. And so I went to church, The music, I mean, you know, I got into the worship after a couple of songs. Heard the message, it was really good. Time to go forward for the Lord's Supper, I just didn't go. I just didn't, just not really appropriate for me. I, I, you know, just wasn't good for me that day. Another time, I heard this really great message, but it was very reflective. It wasn't like convicting, it was reflective. Wow, that gave me a lot to think about. And I was more moved to think about and go back and study my Bible than I was coming forward to do the Lord's Supper. And so it's, it's not for everybody every week. It's an opportunity. But sometimes I don't feel like I can do it myself. Sometimes we feel like, you know, the pastors never struggle. We've just got it all together. Listen, we need to, I need to question myself as well. I need to question whether what I'm doing is the right thing to do. Am I really taking the Bible, reading the Bible, interpreting it right? And, and usually it's pretty easy to interpret, once you study a little bit, and then obeying it, or am I picking and choosing too? John Henry Jowett, who was a preacher for a couple of centuries ago in England, was a great one, he said, I wish you would think of I me mean, not so much as a saint. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy. He says, an exclamation, by no means. I'm often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. I often feel as though my religious life had only just begun and that I am in the kindergarten stage. But I can usually trace these miserable seasons to some personal cause. And the first thing to do is to attend to that cause and to get into the sunshine again. And I know, you think, well, there's, there's no cause. There, there, no. And you start reading the Bible and you well, maybe there is a cause. You know, I'm kind of thinking wrong here. I'm not thinking like the Lord. I'm thinking more like the world I'm living in. I know I'm simplifying things just a little bit, but here's what I think what happens in our life. I've got a, a <clears throat> typical smartphone here in my hand, and it has a, one of the apps on here is a GPS. How many ever use a GPS? All right, so you, you know what I'm talking about. Rest of you um, don't go away from home very much, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I, uh, um, I go through here, and I'm just going to hit something that I've done before. This is a, a golf place, and play play golf there. And uh, it gives you a place for directions. You hit directions, and then it loads and loads. Oh, it keeps loading. But anyway, I'll get to it in just a minute. Um, And so it loads up. Oh, there it is. And you... you, Starting route to Redtail Golf Club. All right? And you hit that. Is that familiar? Pretty familiar. Now, here's what we do. We treat God sometimes as this GPS machine, this app. And we think to ourselves, well, okay, I know where I am, and I know where I want to go. So you punch in where you want to go, what you want to be, what you want to do in life. You punch that in and say, okay, God, it's up to you to get me there. And I want the quickest route... And the easiest route, the one with the less traffic in it, you know, and you just get me there. And God, if you don't get me there, then you must not love me. You, you're not caring for me. You're not, you're not with me. God says, no, if I want to be your Lord, you may think you know where you are, but for argument's sake, okay, this is the place to begin. But then instead of you punching in your destination, you hand me the smartphone and I punch in the destination. Not only that, but I choose the route to not only where you're going, but how you're going to get there. And it may not be the easiest route. It may not be the simplest route. It may not be the quickest route. But if I'm going to be your Lord, if I'm, you're going to be in the path of blessing and on the road where you need to be. I'm going to punch in the destination of what you want to be, where you want to be, what you want to be doing, and then I'm going to tell you how to get there. And wow, life like that. You'd be coming back in 2020 and not praying about the same things you're praying about in 219. Why? Because they're going to be answered. Can you imagine a life like that? You say, well, I'm going to heaven and I'm, I'm living a pretty good life. I think everybody would say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And I'm going to church. My goodness, it's December 23rd and I'm here. I'm not saying all that. But what would happen If someone here were to say, I want to try to live by the Bible, and I'm I'm not doing that to to push off on anybody else, just me, just me. And I'm going to do what God convicts me to do, and then I'm going to pray about the things, and what power could come on your life? What blessing could be yours if we live that way? Say, God, you punch in my destination, you punch in my route, you hit go, and I'm going to go with you. I'm not talking about a perfect life, I'm not talking about legalism. Legalism is when you say, hey, I ought to do this, and everybody ought to do this. No, it's your relationship with God, this is what you ought to do. What would happen if you were to be so honest, and say, you know, I'm going to, cut that stuff out of my life. I'm going to add this stuff in my life because this is what God wants me to do, the joy that would be yours, the peace that would be yours and mine. And so I'd like to do that. And I'd like for you to join me in that venture, adventure. And this morning we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And maybe you're going to come today and say, you know, I at least want to take the next step there of where I need to go in order to have that kind of blessing in my life. I want to I go that. I want to take those steps in obedience to you because, Lord, I love you. And I love you more than I do all these other things in my life. And you say to do this, I feel convicted. That's what I'm going to do. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.